Hello and welcome everyone to the debut episode of Rangers Iced Brew. I'm Brendan, with me is Zook, and we're excited to really get the show started. We've been planning and waiting for this day to come around, and we got a ton of stuff to talk about between Peter Laviolette being named the New York Rangers head coach, Henrik Lundqvist getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame today, Zach Jones re-signed, and we also have an interview with Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News, which is going to break down the upcoming NHL draft. Zook, how you doing today, buddy? I'm excited. I am excited to talk some hockey. I'm excited to talk specifically some Rangers hockey. When some people, um, you know, including the players themselves, would call this the off season, yep. um, I think it's the time to rev it up. I caught. Um, I've always been a diehard Rangers fan, but the past few years, specifically Rangers fever, has hit me hard, and I'm just looking to talk about it with some people, talk about the players, talk about the team, and that's what we're looking to do here with Rangers Ice Brew. Yeah, it's going to be a great time, and like this first episode, right, we got the interview done, we had to pre-record it because Tony is all over the place getting ready for the draft, and you could just tell from the interview that we are ready to go, and it's going to be fun, and there's a lot of tidbits that you hockey fans that like the prospects are going to want to listen to during that interview, but obviously the biggest news so far of the offseason has been Panarin, right? Artemi Panarin is shaving his head, going for a new look because he decided that his postseason play was poor and he's trying to leave the mop behind him. So I know that you loved it. You called it the Walter White look. So <laughs> we got to talk about that. I guess you got to do whatever you got to do, right? And what's interesting is I'm also a Mets fan and Francisco Lindor, I don't know if it happened right before or right after, also shaved his head. And he's been playing a lot better since he's done that. So obviously um, we know it actually has nothing to do with what happens on the ice, but who knows? Sometimes you just got to change up the juju a little bit and find a spark and find the magic. And we all know, um, you know, if he has a successful regular season that leads to a successful playoff run next year while still being bald, we will all <laughs> give this haircut that just happened all the credit. Yeah, clean head, clean slate. I'm not sure the bucket is going to feel that good on a bald head, but hey, man, Panarin, it, he's very skilled. We know how good he is in the regular season, and let's see if it you know, translates to more confidence coming up next year where maybe he'll have his first 100-point season as a New York Ranger. We can only hope, but you know, now it's time to really kick off the show, so we're going to toss it to our first segment, which is Ice Cold News. All right, so to kick things off, Zook, I'll toss it to you. Your boy, Peter Laviolette, you were high on him. You wanted him to be that guy that the Rangers got, and they went out and finally made the signing after what seemed to be a rather long time for them to eventually go and choose Laviolette. He was the guy from the beginning. It took a little bit longer than we all thought, but they did it. And you see a couple of tweets on your screen right now about the hiring, but Zook, what's your take, man? You like it? I like that we're starting off the show with a topic that – um, you know, we're not polar opposites on, but we definitely yeah. disagree on um, how hot on this um, hiring we are. Look, as a fanatic for the first time in my life, I'm going to try and be somewhat reasonable. Um, it was my New Year's resolution just in life in general, so I'm going to bring that to my sports teams. And I just didn't see a savior out there. Um, I don't know what coach we could have got that would have gotten me 
so excited that I felt like he would have been the guy to take us over the top. And the other side of that is, um, you know, what people say, so if there is no coach out there that's the savior coach, this is a lateral move, so why fire Gallant? I'm in the huge um, – I'm on the side of – this is definitely an upgrade. I don't know how big of an upgrade it is, but it's 100% an upgrade. After you give the people a little bit of your taste <laughs> about what you like about this signing, um, we'll dive into some of these numbers I have. And look, has it been the most recent of recent success? No, but these are the numbers. These are things that he d- has done – and albeit maybe not in the last year or two, but this decade, some of those Nashville teams have some great analytics numbers that I have next to me that we'll go through. But Brendan, tell me why I shouldn't be as excited as I am that we've moved on from GG to Peter Laviolette. So I will say after listening to the press conference, after reading some stuff, I'm not as negative uh, about this hiring as I was prior, but we'll get into that in a little bit because we got to start negative. That's just how I am. Uh, So for me, you look at somebody like Peter Laviolette and it's not necessarily a lateral move from Gallant. It's just not a move that takes them over that edge. And this has been a Rangers team that had a great run to the Eastern Conference final. They probably shouldn't have gotten there. They had a very disappointing year last year. And it's almost like they need that extra push. They need a little bit different of the philosophy. And we've just kind of recycled the older coaches. And the one guy that they brought in was David Quinn. That was supposed to be a fresh voice. And he was supposed to develop prospects. He didn't do that. So now you look at this, and it's almost like the guy that they should have gone with is staring them in the face and Chris Knobloch, somebody that's been around their young players, that has a track record of getting younger players to produce and then getting them ready for the NHL. He's had NHL experience as an assistant coach. And I said it all along that that was my guy that I wanted. I wanted Knobloch. Ultimately, I said the retread option, the best one would be Laviolette. So I'm happy they went him and not Hines. And I know that we definitely agreed on that. Yes. But I we're going to talk about Henrik Lundqvist in a little bit uh, later on in the show. And I was reading a New York Post article by Larry Brooks, and he said that when Lundqvist was getting ready to join the Capitals, he spoke to Laviolette on the phone. He said that one phone call, and I was ready to run through a wall for him. So there's something about Laviolette, and we've all watched the 24-7 Winter Classic videos when he was the coach of the Flyers, where he has that motivational aspect. He's a little more structured with his teams, and he said during his press conference that, hey, you know, he, he would, would give these young kids a chance. And to me, if he's willing to do that, I'll take it. I know we saw some comments that said they loved him with the Preds, and that was his most successful tenure after the Cup, which I know that you're about to dive into with the numbers. Yeah, we can dive in to some of these numbers and before I do that, just even more on the philosophy of why I like the signing goes back to, look, the crop wasn't great. So we were going to have to find an imperfect coach that best worked with what the Rangers did. And I'll get into these stats again. What Laviolette does is he has very solid five on five play. His power play is normally not the greatest and he never gets elite goalie play where there's a variation where his team plays bad and his goalie stands on his head. So when you say that to me and you're saying to me, you can't get a coach that gives you everything, but a coach that gives you something, he fills in the gap because whatever structure he has on the power play, we know the Rangers have the players to to make that power play somewhat successful. The goalie side of it, 
we know what Igor is. We're going to have the games where we get outplayed and we win, which is something he's never had before. So if he can only teach this team one thing when it comes to X's and O's, and it and it's the five on five stuff that works for what this makeup is. I did I did some math today. <laughs> I should have. Oh, okay, this is a big one. <laughs> but I did some math and I went from 2015 to 2023 because I wanted to start at 2015 because I feel like a lot of people the chirp for Laviolette is it happened decades ago. So uh, this is basically Nashville and Washington. So I'm leaving out two of his the three cup runs. These are stats just from Nashville and Washington. If you look at the average from the past nine years for expected goals for, which I'm a big analytics guy and probably throughout this show, we'll not, not this specific yep. one, but further episodes, we'll talk so much about that. XG4, LaViolette's team over, teams over the last nine years were an average of 51.5% which came out to in between 11th or 12th in the league on average. The Rangers were a tick under 48%, which was good for basically 23rd in the league. So take Laviolette out of it. Mm -hmm. Take the names out of it. If I told you that one of these recent Rangers teams, instead of being somewhere between you know 21 and 25 in X goals for five on five. So basically being good at five on five, we'll say generally and moved up in between, let's say 12 and 15. How much more dangerous would these teams have been specifically the last two, if they were able to play five on five at the level that Laviolette was able to do for ta teams of probably lesser talent, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the whole strategy has almost been tread water at five on five score on the power play and get great goaltending. So if they're able to take that step where they can just be, I mean, I would love for them to be a top 10 team, but if they could be a top 15 team at five on five and generate close to the 50% mark where it's even, then we do know that their power play and special team should take them over the top. Last year's playoff run, I think was a fluke. We saw how hot they were to start. And then all of a sudden it just went cold, but you have runs like that. You have stretches and it wasn't meant to be, you don't expect that to happen again. So if they can get that five-on-five five play, then yes, I would be very ecstatic. And you brought up the um, the percentages as well. Not only is it the jump between the average of the Rangers being 23rd and Laviolette's teams being around 12, it is that the Rangers are under 50% and Laviolette's teams are over 50%. When you're looking at a relative stat, when you're up against a single opponent, that does matter. So to cross over that threshold is super important. So – you know, not not some guy that I think um, would make all of the difference. Could take, you know, maybe a team with little to no talent and take them to the mountaintop, or else he probably would have done that with Washington. We know how that roster was was constructed. But this these Rangers are a good team. These Rangers are probably the most talented roster that Peter Laviolette has ever gotten to coach, especially the forwards. We, we can go through some of his teams, and we will at nauseum take deeper dives throughout this summer um, into the specific players on the teams that he had success with. He had good defensemen, but forwards, man, the Rangers are just loaded relative to what he's had. So I'm really interested to see this aggressive style that he talked about at his presser, five-on-five, four-check, 
He likes to get shots on goal, which is something. How many times have we watched Rangers games as fans yelled, and I've yelled, yelled shoot? shoot. Times. Yep. So <laughs> said it three or four times now. If we were never going to find the savior perfect coach, if we found a guy that could only do one thing and do it really well, this is the guy. Um, what does the team need to get the cup? A lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's two ways of looking at it. You can look at it roster wise, or you can look at it philosophy wise. Philosophy wise is what we're talking about. Lavila isn't the greatest at this, so don't look at us to be you know the best five on five team in the world. But five on five is really what they need to improve on. And then roster wise, as we'll talk about a little bit later when we get into draft coverage, right wing, left defense, um, some holes in the roster that. We would like to think over the course of the summer, Drury will do some cat magic and find some pennies under the sofa. Even if they have the same team, the way for them to win the cup is the fastest, you know, way to get from point A to point B is a straight line. And I think too many of the players on the Rangers team right now are East West type guys. And that came to fruition when you played a faster team against the devils, right? In the first round last year, you got to be willing to either not even just dump the puck in, which is a a very basic thing, but you got to be willing to go straight towards the net. I can't imagine or remember, I should say how many shots the Rangers had after they went up 2-0, where Akira Schmidt just had a clean line of sight to the puck. Nobody was in front. It wasn't even like the devils were battling with anybody. So play that straight line hockey, no more East West stuff. And if that's a correction that's made, you'll see the five on five numbers go up. LaViolette would look like a genius and they will definitely have a much more sustained run this year. So that's what I think they need to do. And a good segue into our next ice cold news is a a member that could be very important into what Peter Lava, Peter LaViolette wants to do with the Rangers when it comes to his system is Mr. Zach Jones re-signed with the Rangers Actually, a lesser cap hit than what he's been, which I thought was really interesting, Brendan. He's yep. going down to basically 800000 where he was at nine fifty. And if you know the Rangers cap situation, that one fifty will definitely be put to good use. But um, without even talking Peter Laviolette and team-specific how he fits in, talk about the player and Zach Jones and just your immediate thoughts when you saw the news break that he was re-signing with us for two years. I loved it because of two things. One, you mentioned the cap hit, right? Obviously he's reducing his hit and you know, a hundred thousand dollars in professional sports doesn't seem like a lot, but when you look at the reality of the NHL salary cap, that hundred thousand dollars could be the difference (laughs) between signing one more player and being able to fit under it. So that automatically makes it a solid deal. I think the Rangers biggest limitation on the back end was defensemen that could transport and move the puck and when you have guys like truba playing there who are more physical presence lingering can move the puck but he's more of a physical grit guy miller had struggled at times with it as well uh nico mikolo wasn't able to really do it Braden schneider couldn't really do it in the postseason so somebody like zach jones that has that innate ability to be able to skate the puck out if he needs to make that first pass make a little escape turn and get out of the zone is something that they really need and when i look at it if you can actually get him and it's a two year one way contract, which I think is huge because it's basically them saying to him, it's your time. Now you're going to take that lefty spot. Your competition's Ben Harper. And if you can't beat out Ben Harper, then uh, you have to give up. Right. So it's like for, for Zach Jones, this is it. You are the third pair left defenseman. You're playing with Braden Schneider and 
or other people, which we'll get to, but <laughs> there, there's a chance here that you could solidify yourself at the NHL level and be that offensive defenseman that they need. That's not Adam Fox. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <clears throat> I love the signing. We, in theory, he is exactly who we need. I'll bring up some of the advanced analytics from the AHL that were brought to us by our friend Jacob Stoller. Check him out on Twitter. He's always doing fun analytics stuff. Before we get into the specifically, when you just look at these numbers generally, the statement is give this dude a chance. What else could he possibly do down in the AHL? Yep. Where I want to start with this is let's go down to the bottom of the screen because we think offensive player. We think puck movement. I did some research today. I was looking into what stats actually do people use to to quantify how good of a puck mover a defenseman is because it is tough to do that. And Corsi against, an XGA against, is actually what a lot of people were using because they think a lot of those happen when you're unable to get the puck out of your zone and teams are pressing you and they're circling like sharks. So you hear of an offensive player and you would think that that 99% would be at the XGF and the 34 might be at the XGA, but you see that a lot of his offensive ability slash puck movement is happening in that defensive third when the XGA and the CA is so high at the 95% and the 99%. Man, Adam Fox is really the only one who does it above average. I know if you look at some of Lindgren's numbers, they may tell you a story that I think is a little misleading because he is playing next to Fox. We know Truba (laughs) and Miller shut their eyes and just pray that the puck leaves the zone. Schneider tries. I'll give him that. Schneider tries, and I still think there's hope for him, specifically with how Lindgren gets that help from Fox. If he's playing next to someone like Zach Jones, who can move the puck, it's just a lot easier for you. And then, look, Mikola has been the sixth defenseman. Mikola or Harper has been the sixth defenseman that the Rangers have looked for for decades, right? A really big, strong guy that, for some reason, that thing they think that that automatically makes you a good defenseman. <laughs> this kid is the opposite. <laughs> He's gonna move the. If it his his basically ceiling is a lefty light, 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 light Adam Fox, and that's the low hanging fruit, and people have talked about that with him forever. But it's true. That's the way that he plays. Um, so I, I think when you see the stats like this, he's not going to get anything else from going down to the AHL besides experience. And when you see, you just got to give him an extended look because what he's good at, the Rangers really need like LaViolette filling some holes. Zach Jones is not a perfect player, but Zach Jones moving the puck and maybe commanding that second power play could be one of the top storylines really for the Rangers this year for a team that can't make a lot of changes, right? Correct. And the one thing I will say about a puck moving defenseman is that patience and confidence are really the two things that they need to have to be successful in the NHL level. You look at somebody like Fox, who's not going to blow you away with speed, but he literally just outweighs people. people. Like he's just, he thinks the game, he knows the game and able to have patience and confidence in his ability for Jones. He didn't really have that when he came up to the Rangers last year, got sent down. And then based on those numbers, he started to develop that again. And if he could come up next year and have that carry that confidence with him, not only does it show that, you know, he's able to take that role as the third line, the third lefty, he's not only going to help 
Braden Schneider start getting the puck out because Schneider does have some wheels. He he has done it by himself, and he's been bogged down by an anchor the last two years on that left side. So it gives you the ability to have that 6D depth that the Rangers have really lacked. They've had four to five, depending on who's been in the lineup at times, but the 6D has always been a little bit of a weakness. And if they can get Jones to take that spot, it's a beautiful thing, especially $812,000 cap it. But I think that this is the moment now that we've really wanted to talk about for a while. I know that we've been texting about it. We've been ready to go. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And of course it did happen. Henrik Lundqvist gets into the Hockey Hall of Fame on the first year he is eligible. First ballot Hall of Famer for the King, sixth all-time in NHL wins. You can go through his stats all you want, but the reality is he captivated a fan base in City for his entire career, was absolutely God-given in, in his talent every single season, and if the Rangers were able to provide any type of offensive support for him in one of his 17 seasons on Broadway, they might have had a cup. Uh, with his name written on it. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. But nonetheless, Henrik Lundqvist is a Hall of Famer, Olympic gold medalist, all the accolades, Vesna Trophy winner, most well, winningest European goalie of all time. It's just hell of a career. I was at his retirement game when they hung his jersey. Wow. And that was just, I don't think people stopped chanting Henrik's name until they got on the train to get home. Like it was just that type of night. So what a guy, man, what a legend. And New York legend forever and now hockey legend forever. I'll make a statement that I think a lot of people will agree with, and it also signifies what this man meant to the fan base. Um, also probably signifies that I haven't gone through too many hardships <laughs> in my life. Um, Henrik Lundqvist not winning a Stanley Cup is one of the worst things that has happened <laughs> in my life. Like He just he deserves it so, 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 so much. And I'm trying to watch what I say because I want to go off on all the <laughs> trolls out there on Twitter that were bringing up some other names and we're saying, why is it such a sure thing that this guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer? Man, and again, we'll get into the stats, but if you watched this man just play hockey and you watched some of the saves that he made, the quality of the save, when the save was how poor some of these Rangers Ranger teams were. And we could even get into it because I love doing a deep dive on this man's career. Like, was he so good that they didn't build a good enough team around him because he covered up some, some flaws? Yes. Probably. That's how good he was. But man, oh man. Um, you want to what, talk what about he meant the... for what he meant for the city, what he meant for the garden, what he really meant for the franchise was almost re putting a franchise on the map that obviously won in 94 then had hockey go through some things that hockey's gone through a few times, which caused viewership to leave and then have to come back. He's one of the faces, not only for the Rangers, but for the entire league that brought yeah. hockey to where it is today. Well, I'll bash the trolls a little bit, but I'll do it politely and analytically since you mentioned analytics and uh, evolving hockey. They tweeted this back out uh, out back in 2020. So this is not a recent tweet, but it recirculated today, obviously, because of his Hall of Fame induction. So uh, from 2007 to 2020, Henrik Lundqvist provided 57.2 wins above replacement. The closest goalie to him was Carey Price with 20 fewer. Uh, he saved 278 goals above expected over that span. The closest one to him at that time was Yaroslav Alok at 96. 
almost a full 200 behind him. So I don't care what, you know, what, how many cups he has, he's a hall of famer. And those numbers didn't even include his first two seasons. And he was a heart trophy finalist, his first two seasons. So you're talking about an all time, great goaltender that unfortunately was doing it with the wrong franchise, but we're very happy. He did it with that franchise. Very much so. And here's a few, um stats from rangers muse check them out on twitter one of the obviously the best follows if you're watching us here or listening to or watching us um the recording of this obviously you probably follow range uh, rangers muse henrik lundquist career accomplishments 459 wins six all time 918 save percentage 11th all time 2.43 goals against average 25th all time and man, I put so much stock in playoff performance. So <laughs> yeah. these next stats are crazy. Nine two one playoff save percentage, third all time. Two point three playoff goals against eighth all time. So it literally improved in both of those stats in the biggest games there are. Eleven thirty win seasons, third most ever. Six time game seven winner, and we'll get into some more game seven specific stats. That's the most ever. Two thousand twelve. Vezina Trophy winner, and you can make a lot of claims that there are some other years that he probably should have won. And 2006 Olympic gold, and I know for a lot of people that may seem like a poo-poo, but in hockey, that's a that's a huge, huge, huge win. So obviously he never won a Stanley Cup champion, but he is a champion in some sense. And before we comment um, on these, because I want to bring them back up, because the format for this tweet isn't too great, so I just want to talk it through <laughs> real quick. From Jay Lazzy, I'm sure you all are following Johnny Lazarus. What stands out? What stands out most about Hank's career was how incredible he was in Game Sevens, six and two, one point one one goals against, and a ninety six one save percentage. Never gave up more than two goals in any game seven, which basically means you're in every single one, and you probably should win. Most of them six and two is a terrible record. When you look at those stats, most other teams, um, 99% of the time would be um, eight and no, but talk about the man a little further. Well, the, the two that he lost, they got shut out in. Uh, the, so the it, lightning one hurts me to this day. Yes, it does. Light, and I called the radio and I was, I was in college. <laughs> I remember it. I was in college. I was junior year. I just run into my room and I wait on the radio for, uh, to get, to call in for like an hour. And I went in on the team for having like no heart because it became. It also was like you were shocked, right? Because we expected yep. to win. Like well, we, that was. The, it was kind of with the Devils this year. Kind of with the Rangers yeah. have this game seven lore. It comes from Lundqvist. You kind of went into game sevens feeling super confident, just believing in the numbers that you were no way thinking you were going to lose that sometimes you might have been a little overconfident so it was a full swing the other way when we came out against the lightning lost did we even score in that game no that they got shut out in that game and that was the series after the step on goal where they were down 3-1 against the caps they came all the way back had that crazy overtime goal which i think if you ask any rangers fan that's you know around our age or a little bit younger that's probably one of their favorite goals that they've seen so far so you have all that high of we just came back we're going to tampa this is the year we went to the cup final last year we couldn't do it and then all of a sudden you look at it and you're like we just got shut out in game seven are you kidding me so 
that was that was really heartbreaking really tough to see especially the way they lost and like you mentioned game seven this year was a similar thing got shut out just didn't show up but you know you, you continue to move forward and that's not what defines Lundqvist because those two losses were nowhere near a result of his play so they they never lost a playoff series because of him and I think that speaks volumes to his game and you mentioned the 921 save percentage. Well, Shesterkin through 28 has a 929. So it's like they went from King Henrik to Igor Shesterkin, who so far has carried that torch in the postseason for him. I'll bring it up, even though this segment is all about praising um, the king, as we all know him, mm-hmm. and he will forever be called. Um, what happens to his... Is his legacy, is Hank's legacy at all tied to if Igor is to win one, um, especially if Igor is to win one anytime soon? Or do you think um, there's nothing that could ever happen that could take away the people's love slash opinion of this man? I think all, which kind of works against Igor because Igor is brilliant. And I think that we don't necessarily appreciate that fact enough. Uh, especially right now, which we probably didn't with Henrik Lundqvist either when he was playing. And now yeah. that you're looking back, you're like, whoa. But <laughs> when you look at the Rangers roster, right, you have a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. You have a Hart finalist up front. You have Chris Kreider, who's now scored 52. When he was playing with Henrik Lundqvist, he never even sniffed that. So the the offense that they have now, especially, is it, just so much better and more talented that it gives them a better chance to win. Where So Sturkin throughout the course of the last season struggled a lot. There was a large point where he was not up to that caliber that we knew he could play and the offense kind of pushed them through. So I, I don't think that if Shesterkin does win a cup, which we all hope he does, that it ties in any way, shape or form to Lundqvist. Cause I think that Lundqvist teams that they had in front of him were built for that Tortorella Vigneault type system where it was a lot more defensive. I mean, their best line had Benoit Puglia on it. So <laughs> I, when you look at that and the Rangers third line has all these top picks, it's like really that the team that they had for him versus the team that Shesterkin's playing with. Uh, I don't think it it tarnishes either. Yeah, I'm a big fan of roster construction, though, and there is something to be said. About that was a that great. Third, I love that. It, team. <laughs> it was Brassard, Pouliot, and was it Z- Zuccarello? Was who was it? Was, was Zuccarello the right winner? Yep. Winner Broussard, that Pouliot, line? and Zuccarello. Yo, that line was like elite. they were dominant. Like oh, it dominant. was it was the best. It was, that that line and that team introduced me to just fully believing um and people will hear this throughout this show every episode going forward just believing in roster construction so yeah. like how the rangers built their team last year is just 100 percent against how i think a successful hockey team needs to be played i'm even more to an extreme where i probably need to tone it down but like i hear third line i think there's a specific type of player I hear fourth line. I think there's a specific type of player. Even with a first and second line, I think most of the time there's a specific type of player. Um, that like the pool, like I still would love that third line in today. Like that third line piques my interest as to something that the team was missing this year against the Devils. I think they have it. Players just need to kind of accept their roles. I, like yeah. there is a type of player or a prototype, if you will, that you want for those types of lines, especially with what they do. But that more so comes down to roles. And any player can adapt to a role if they're willing to. And the championship caliber teams have guys that are willing to adapt to a different role than they're used to playing. I don't think that the Rangers necessarily had that camaraderie and willingness to adapt last year. And that was probably one of their downfalls. So in the end, I completely agree. Roster construction is key. And they overstocked on the shiny objects last year. And 
Yeah. I know that we talked about it. Their cop and Vetrano were better fits for that. So the year before, and that's construction. And I think that jury learns from it and moves on. But I think it's time where we start getting into those hot takes. So cold takes, I should say. It's time for frosty takes. All right, Zook, we're starting with you. So give me your two takes that you're looking towards the next season and thinking this is what's going to happen. So my first take, and I don't, <laughs> we can dissect it in a lot of different ways, is I think for most of the season, Keandre Miller and Jacob Truba do not play together. Before I even get into my take, I just want to present that theory to you. And let's say that take does become true. At the end of the year, what I just said is the case. What is your most likely scenario of why that happens and why these two would not play together for most of the year? If these two don't play together most of the year, I will go on the show and say, I like the Lobulette hiring. I Because okay. I completely agree that that's what should happen. Ryan Lindgren is a great hockey player. He's an extremely good hockey player with Adam Fox, yes, who sir. is in his own right a great hockey player. And we've yes, seen sir. at times that they are not necessarily co- uh, good when the other person's out, which is primarily when Lindgren's out. Yes. But at the same time, the other two are not good together. They, uh, there's just no <laughs> other way to put it. I wanted to see Keandre Miller play with Fox, and I wanted to see Ryan Lindgren play with Truba to have that sort of shutdown stay at home pair where neither one of those guys are really going to jump into the offensive play. So you're not going to get caught on too many ad man rushes that way. And then have the young kids play together in Jones and Schneider. So I like that. I think that if they do that, they might have a little more success than they've had the last couple of years, but this is a new team, new coach. That's a nice way to spice things up and change things up. It's funny. Um, because I, if I were to think it would happen, I actually think the opposite would, would need to happen. Okay. Do I think Keandre Miller and Fox could work? Maybe. But like you said, um, Fox and Lingren with as great as Fox is, those are the um, the whole is more than the sum of the parts or whatever that saying is, <laughs> that they're better when they're combined than just you know two of them separately. Um, because Fox trusts. Lindgren and we never really see him go through bad stretches but if you ever see you know a little chink in the armor here or there it's the times when Lindgren's out and he's with someone new who last year a lot of the time was Mikolo where I don't know if he would ever fully be able to trust Keandre Miller and once he starts worrying who's coming behind him having to worry more about covering his ass on defense He loses some of that magic, and if we lose the Adam Fox offensive magic, we're in huge trouble because, like I said during the Zach Jones segment, Zach Jones is probably the second-best puck-moving defenseman in the organization of an organization that probably only has two puck-moving defensemen. So we really need Adam Fox to feel super comfortable. And look, you may be right. The other two may be bad together, but I think the tinker ultimately would be – I'm a Jones guy, man, and um, Miller has a lot of issues, and I think a lot of Miller is just he's a symmetrical Jacob Truba. He's a lefty who Jacob Truba is on the right side. Um, I even think Schneider is very similar, but a little different than those two that if Jones is good 
and Jones holds down enough, uh, does well enough to hold down the third left defenseman spot, I think he's going to also play well enough to potentially get moved up and get more minutes because if he's in the lineup on a daily basis, we will see how much of a difference having a defenseman that's even a little above average moving the puck is, and we'll want to see more minutes because it'll create better chances. What's the greatness about having Igor? A lot of your defensive mistakes or um, defensive mistakes, uh, missteps can be atoned for by the man between the pipes. But what can't Igor do? Even though he tries sometimes he to score, he can't, he can't take the puck from behind the net, um, you know, and pass it to the streaking mm-hmm. winger or the center moving from the center to one of the walls. And that's what Fox can do. And that's what Zach Jones can do. And if he can do that successfully, I think he will get that chance eventually to crack to the second defenseman, uh, the second line defenseman. In a perfect world, <laughs> and it may not be the best case scenario, but I think there's a chance where Zach Jones is the third most um, valuable defenseman going into the playoffs this year. That's how high I am on him and also how high I am on his style of play in the modern NHL. So it's a combination, but let me counteract that hot take. it real quick, real quick before you go to the next. Yeah. I think Miller and Fox on the same pair opens up extra space for Fox because we've seen Keandre Miller go end to end and his, he's, he's a big boy. So his legs move, he gets the puck out, you know, fast. And I, I think that if you look at Fox where he's the one that is the puck mover on that pair, if you put him with Keandre Miller teams have to sag back a little bit and that can only open it up. And if those two take that ice and force one of the, you know, the four checkers to commit, there's two sides for the passing lanes now. And that's why I like that pairing, but they time will tell. Yeah, yeah, it's like it, it would be. Yeah, what you're saying is true. It'd be very interesting to see. It would really come down to the response of the teams, right? Would they sag back because they're fearful that Keandre will blow by them, which he could, like you said, it's giving Fox like another really good receiver, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, or would they pressure because they would think the best defense would be like not even to let Keandre have any space? And we don't know that. We would have yeah. to, the pairing rarely plays together. Um, and with Fox's magic and how physically gifted Keandre Miller is, right, there is that chance they would have to sag. And if they did that, what you're saying is correct. Um, giving Fox more time, which we saw he didn't have in the Devils series, um, ultimately makes the team better as a whole because as Fox goes, so does the Rangers. But my yep. second frosty takes, <laughs> um, I know you vastly disagree with this one, um, is – that Peter Laviolette will win the Jack Adams Award. He'll win the Adams Award. He will be the best coach in the NHL this season. Um, I don't know how many times I can say it this episode, but I'll say it again. He fits the needs of what this Ranger team needs, which is the five-on-five success. I think his style of coaching also fits the Rangers' personality, specifically going into this season. I think the Rangers are pissed off. I think the Rangers got their butts handed to them, not only their butts handed to them and embarrassed, but by the Devils, who, um, you know, us as Ranger fans know, we like to walk around potentially thinking that we're a little bit better of a franchise, even though deep down we know they may have more success, um, you know, throughout our lifetime. But – 
I think they're going to come in hungry, and I think this is a team that's going to be very receptive to the type of coach LaViolette is because there is that chance with a coach like LaViolette who's loud, who's imposing, who's going to try and get the locker room going, that that could fall on deaf ears. And if that's the case, that's a worst-case scenario for a coach like LaViolette. And there are some people, some players that may on an average year on the Rangers roster fall onto that side where that would normally fall into deaf ears. But I think after um, a play, a seven games of getting roasted really weeks after of getting roasted by a fan base that is normally in love with the team, probably the rest of the summer that will constantly um, have people like us and just fans in general talking about how bad that playoff loss was and what could have been with that roster. Um, They'll kind of have a reset. They'll have a reset and they'll be very, very receptive and looking for whatever they can hold on to and whatever can make them find that extra level that where GG and the Rangers in general maybe didn't worry about the playoffs until two weeks to 10 days before. I think right off the gate, the first week, we'll see what Laviolette and the players, they'll be tuned in that the first game of the season will be the Stanley Cup. The second game of the season, all 82 will be the Stanley Cup. So... Will he actually be the best coach? I don't know, but I know who they give the award to. Um, and I think that the Rangers have a chance with the attitude that they're going to come in, with the skill, with the attitude that LaViolette has, with the getting guys going, especially in the first two years, to win the President's Trophy. Um, we talk a lot of shit about the Rangers, and they were not that good last year analytically, and they had 107 points. What if next year they're what if next year, just next year, they're a little bit above league average five on five? The power play stays the same, and Igor goes back to in between last year and two years ago. If Boston doesn't have an all time season again, that team wins the president's trophy most likely. And if the Rangers were to win the president's trophy, you know, he's at least in the top three. Um, of finalists and I'll take my chance that he can win that award. Listen, I'm not going to go into a long-winded, you know, rebuttal against it. I think he hasn't won a Jack Adams in his coaching career. He's not going to win one this year. They there's too many things that can go wrong in a first season especially with a guy that's been around the block, things that he might want to see and he might drill into his players to the tune of he'll take a little bit of a lull especially in the beginning and I think they have a successful season. I agree with you. I, I think that that 107 gets topped. I think they finish mm-hmm. between 110 and 115, um, which is great. I, I don't want to see them win a President's Trophy because we know that curse is real and alive <laughs> right now. But I, I just don't see any way that Laviolette has the ability or the wherewithal to get a Jack Adams award. If he does, it will be on the backs of his players. Oh, oh, 100%. We, we, that's the part of the take we agree on. Mm -hmm. And I think you actually saw, saw the tweet that I shared, um, that I retweeted from the Rangers Ice Brew account that, um, what's going to happen is because of roster construction and cap space, Lafreniere is going to get second ring wing, um, second right wing time, which is where he should be. And he may get a decent look and we're all going to praise LaViolette. Like, I agree with you. If he wins, it's on the backs of these players' talents, Igor, and like I keep saying over and over, him just adding a little bit of five-on-five success. It won't be any magic potion that he's overdoing everything the Rangers have. It will be how the Rangers themselves got to 107, right? They yep. just have a lot more talent than most people, and Igor 
um, most nights. And whatever he can add a little bit will get them over the bump that if they were to win the President's Trophy, which I think that they can, albeit, like you said, we may not want them to, <laughs> not he would right definitely now. be the betting favorite, most likely, besides if, hey, look, one of these really, really bad teams were to make an outstanding run. But yeah. Coach of the Rangers also brings a little bit of extra juice, right? If the Angel- Rangers were to win the stand- uh, win the President's Trophy, they would love to give the coach um, the Jack Adams. They, they would, and that is something that could happen. The the comment you see on the screen right now, DC Kako and Lafreniere on the team long term. I'm going to take that as my first cold take, so I'm going to remove the one I had, and we're going to put that. Okay. Uh, I think that the answer is no. I think that Lafreniere will be the one that's shipped out. I don't know if it's this year, but to me, they, there's a little bit of a fleeting confidence in Lafreniere's game. We've seen some questions about his work ethic in the offseason, and I'm not talking about you know him going and hanging out with friends or playing softball like some people are upset about. I'm talking about his <laughs> actual dedication yep. to what needs to be worked on. Um, uh, to me, that's the one that if they were to be moved, because you have a cap crunch, I know that the cap's going to go up, but this is the New York Rangers. So if Lafreniere doesn't take a big step this year, they're going to look to move him and use that extra cap space to get somebody that's proven. That's just what the Rangers do, whether you like it or not. This is an original six team, the most valuable team in the NHL. That's that's what they do. So. I don't have confidence in saying that Kako and Lafreniere are going to be on this team long-term. I think it's going to be one of the two. I think that there's a very good chance they regret which one they let go, but it just doesn't doesn't seem like if I look at this team and the construct and the contracts they have, that they are willing to have the patience to keep these guys around long-term. Uh, not, not both of them, but one of them, yes. I, I, I kind of agree with you on that. I mean... I know this is weird to say, but I'm pretty confident in Capo Caco being like somewhat of a decent player. You really just see it with his puck control and what he's able to do. You just gotta he's, shoot more. Yeah, like literally that. And I know other fan bases when they hear that about any player that they don't watch with their own eyes, they're just like, "No, no, that's just you being a homer." <laughs> but it really is the case for anyone that watches the kid. He just gotta shoot more. His handles are amazing. He's big bodied and he uses it so well. Um, you know, I'm not going to make an extreme take that he's one of the best um, puck protectors in the league in the offensive zone, but on the Rangers, he's definitely right up there. One of the only guys who can really do it. Um, and when he played with Kreider and Mika last year, which is statistically one of the best lines in the NHL when they played together, he was the play driver. He was the guy behind, um, you know, behind the red line um, when they would dump it behind, finding the other two guys or outletting it to the blue line, to the defenseman. I feel very, very confident that if you give him a good, uh, if you give him a good look on a line, on a line with Mika and Kreider, plus if he gets some sort of power play minutes, he's easily a 55 to 60 point player. And if he was able to achieve that this year with 60 points, the public perspective on him would be way different. And I don't know if I told you this or someone this yesterday or the day before. Um, Look, Kako had 40 points and three of them were on the power play. Trocek had 17 points on the power play. If Kako had 17 points on the power play, he'd be at 55 points. A 55-point Kako probably has a lot different public perception than a 40-point Kapo Kako. So how much of it is it these guys versus how much of it is um, you know, the – the time that they've been given on the ice and to the other side of it. I agree with you. I've heard the stuff about Laugh. 
I think he definitely needs to prove more. I just think they feel a lot. They're a lot happier with Kako. They're a lot more confident that he's a long-term player. I think because Loft maybe does some things you like less off the ice, what he does on the ice has to make up for that. So if he's not someone who really blows them away this year, hopefully they hope that there's still enough of that first pick magic pixie dust on him that they would get some decent value back for him. Yeah, the the question was long term, so I, I'm not saying it has to happen this year or okay. this off season. I think that long term, like you know, I would say there's a there's a two year leash here, at least in my opinion, because if yeah. you're if Loft's playing on the team this year, he's not getting a one year deal. So to me, there's a two year leash where you'll have a Kako become a free agent, Lafreniere become a free agent, and they'll make a choice. So that's what I think. And in terms of Kako, it Mika Zibanejad is a shooter, right? And nobody's ever exactly. denying that. Exactly. Kako, like you mentioned, protects the puck. If he can protect the puck and dish, which is what we know he likes to do as opposed to shoot the puck, giving it to a guy like Zibanejad, who's one-timers lethal with Kreider in front, seems to be the perfect line combination. So I, I, I was rooting for that. I know that if I'm Laviolette and I'm going into this situation and I'm talking about giving the kids a chance, that's the first kid I give a chance on that top line consistently. And I think that we will see that. But... I think we're going to ta- we're going to move on to the draft uh, interview with Tony Ferrari. Obviously, of the hockey news, great guy. So we're going to toss it to these uh, the draft interview. And yeah, so basically, on. what we did is he couldn't come on live tonight. So we recorded some great segments with him. After this, we're going to release the whole like thirty six minutes. Yep. It was great. He was awesome. Um, as someone who I put my hands up, this is really one of the first years I'm diving deep into the hockey draft myself. Wow, what a great conversation. We pulled three or four more Ranger-specific clips. The first one is starting with um, Tony Ferrari's philosophy. We'll go into that and how it ties with what he sees the Rangers doing in recent year, whether or not he agrees with what the Rangers have done. I want to start because one of the most interesting things that I read that you put in here is you said – As for traits that I personally value, intelligence, mobility, skill, and the ability to chain plays together are what I I look for. I find physicality valuable, but often overrated in that sense. My question for you is, how does that philosophy that you have line up what you think the Rangers have been drafting for recently and what they need to do going forward? Well, I I think the Rangers do a pretty decent job of – kind of aligning with what I was talking about and that, that part of my my uh, analysis there is I, I look for functional physicality. I don't want a guy that's going to chase every hit and try to blow guys up just for the se- just for the sake of it because oftentimes it leaves you out of the play, it leaves you behind the play, and oftentimes you're getting scored on well. Yeah, it looks great that you got the hit, but uh, puck's in the back of your net, so it doesn't serve a purpose. And I, I look at guys that they've drafted. I think a guy like Brennan Othman's a perfect example of that, willing to get in there physically, willing to kind of mix things up. Uh, I'll always remember him for uh, at the U18s a few years back. He's, he went, he entered the offensive zone, had the puck on his stick, kind of feathered a saucer pass to the center, center of the offensive zone, right as he was getting blown up by a defenseman. Uh, I think it was Shane Wright that picked up the pass, went and scored a goal, and then Brennan Othman gets up as a defenseman standing over top of him, pats the defenseman on the head, and, and skates over to the pile to celebrate with everyone else. Yep, that's that. the kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff you want to see, right? That ability to engage physically, even though he's the one getting hit there. Take the hit to make the play. If you're going to try to be the guy doling out hits, make the hit to, to serve a purpose. Everyone always talks about you're hitting a guy to, to separate the man from the puck. 
if the guy's passed the puck already and you're hitting him afterwards, the puck's already gone. You're not doing anything. He's right, right? The physicality aspect of it is something where if you are hitting a guy like he said that they already moved the puck, you're not only taking yourself out of the play, but you're putting your defense in a bad situation. And I think that when you look at this draft class, especially with where the Rangers pick at 23, they're going to have to make that assessment of if there's no defenseman available that they like, we need a forward who's got to have the idea that they want to be physical, but physical within the lines and and also have some type of two-way game. Because I think that if they're going to draft a right wing, which is what we're going to get into next, that, that has to be their, their, their MO. Yeah, and um, before we answer this question, um, you know, I went on a little bit after um, that clip cuts off to say a lot – but people would probably have been interested right off the bat by that answer by Tony Wright to say that the Rangers have been drafting for that stuff. Yep. When a lot of times we've been saying that the Rangers young players in their lineups now actually need that stuff. But if you look at the real recent draftees, the ones that haven't made the Rangers yet, the Sakuras, the Othmans, even the Berards who are lesser prospects, but just they call them Nats and pests. It's all guys that are the complementary style players that we're saying the Rangers need. They're just a, they just need some more seasoning. Yep. They're a year or two or so away. So Tony is correct when he says recently the Rangers have made that switch and those are the players they have been targeting. We need more and we also need to see some of the fruits of the labor because as good as they are in whatever prospect league that they're playing in, you know, it's no direct signs if it's going to start in the NHL, but I think the next clip was so we talked a little bit about the philosophy. But, oh, let's answer this question first. I apologize. <laughs> When's the earliest you think we can anticipate Brandon Othman's arrival, especially one with Loff or Kako being gone? Since you were the one that posed the question, posed the answer that realistically in the somewhat future, one of them will be gone. I'll let you answer first. Yeah, so I think that the earliest and what is probably likely would be next year. I think Brandon Othman is... I know I've been on the record of saying it and I still stand by it that I want him to start in Hartford. I think they've mm -hmm. rushed the last two prospects. I not necessarily rushed like, like one number one overall picks playing in the NHL, but there's a chance <laughs> to get him some seasoning. And when he struggled a little bit, they should have sent him down. I'd rather see often start there to build the confidence to go up, especially since they do have the ability to fill out the roster with like a Will Cooley, a Johnny Brodzinski even to start the season. Cause you're not, you're not missing the playoffs in game zero to 10. If it just takes a couple of games to get him seasoned. So to me, the earliest you'll see him is next year. I think you will see him next year, but I do think that he should have a little bit of a conditioning stint in Hartford first. If regardless of what happens, um, you know, after next year or the year after, if Loff is to get that first crack truly at the second line right wing and the team's constructed with basically how it is right now, no real outside help, that left third, that third left wing spot, he may not be the favorite for him, but they'll give him a shot, Othman, that if he has he an unbelievable think. camp, um, he could win that job. There will be a path for him to win it. Like I said, will he be the favorite? Will he be the guy who starts the first day at practice at that side? I don't know. 
But if Laf works hard this offseason and does what he needs to do and Kako can be first line right wing, Laf can be second line right wing and they can really solidify the problems that we've had on the right side, that third line winger where he would slide into does open up. So again, you know, when you ask a question like that, I just say that because it's twofold, right? Like it's sometimes yep. not just what Othman can do. It's what are the Rangers have in front of him. So he may need some other guys to make a leap because uh, he's probably not going to get a third line wing spot over Loff at this point. But if Loff were to move up, that would then open it up for him. So it's going to be very, very fun to see who they go with off the bat. Yeah, so the draft is next week. We're going to get into that clip right now. The Rangers pick 23rd, and we asked Tony who he thinks the Rangers could pick at 23rd overall. First round. Uh, it's going to be interesting because after you get past the top four or five, and even with Mitch Scott being in that group, it's kind of a wild card. But after you get past that group, you have a lot of different kind of opinions on draft boards. I think I'm, I'm never going to be the guy that's like, my draft board's the best. It's got to follow my – like, no, that's not going to be the reality of it. I think anybody that thinks that is kind of crazy, but a guy that I have pretty high up, Gavin Brindley, at tw- I have him at 12. He could easily be there at 23, a really, really high-end winger. Plays with that tenacity. Plays, he's an undersized guy, but – plays with that physicality and is more than willing to get involved. I think he's a guy that plays a really pro-style game, an absolute menace on the four check. He's so annoying to play against. Uh, he, he could be a guy that fits into that mold. I think another right winger is Andrew Cristal, who has been falling down draft boards all year, but this kid's got so much talent. I, I, I've likened his game a few times. I've been like, do you like Artemi Panarin? Do you like Mitch Marner? Do you like Kirill Kaprizov? Imagine if they couldn't skate. Do you still like that player? And that's kind of what you're getting with uh, Andrew Cristal is he's got some mobility issues. And like I said, I value mobility quite highly. But when the offensive game, the intelligence, the skill, the playmaking, the shot is as good as it is with Andrew Cristal, you go, we can fix that skating. We can work on that. That's not a, a trait that's unfixable. So I think that's a really, really interesting option because he has so much talent, so much skill that he really could be a top six winger that that's putting up 70, 80 points if he hits. That's a, a really valuable player. And, and the third guy I'll give you is Alex Chernik, uh, a kid, Slovak kid playing in Sweden, played in the Alsvenskan, which is the second tier in Sweden. This kid plays with so much speed, so much pace, loves to just fly around the ice and create havoc. He's another guy that's really good on the forecheck, really good kind of distributing the puck. Uh, uh, a lot of times with the Slovak national teams at the U18, U20 level, Dalibor, Dalibor Dvorsky gets a ton of the credit. He's a guy that finishes, he's got a big shot, he plays center. A lot of times when you watch those plays, though, where he's scoring, he's creating all the, the goals and everything, there's one guy getting in the puck, and it always seems to be Alex Chernik. So I think he's a guy that you need to watch. He's a guy that drives play and did a lot of the work for Dalibor Dvorsky uh, going going forward at the uh, Slovak national team. So he's going to be an interesting player, too, and he, he'll certainly be around in that range. So I think that when you listen to that clip, the one that's the most likely to be available is probably Alex Chernak at, eight, at uh, 23. But we talked about it after that question. You can see it when you check out the interview later. Um, it, Gavin Brindley is probably the top flight player that they can get yes, if he falls. And if for some reason he falls, which I don't believe he he will, um, that's somebody that you got to grab. He, he <laughs> might be a little undersized, but he's unreal. And that would be a steal at 23. I think you look at the draft you know, a couple of years and you go, he get, they got him at 23. That could be the anti-Dylan McElrath. So... Uh, that that would be the guy I target. I would I would put a lot of money 
and this is not a gambling show, but I would put a lot of money that if Gavin Brindley is available at 23, Chris Drury would take no longer than five seconds <laughs> to put in that pick. It fits with some of the stuff that we've been reading behind the scenes that he really wants to draft someone that's went to that went to Michigan or Wisconsin. I don't know why, but those two schools seem to be the ones that we've been reading a lot that he wants to target a player from. Gavin went to Michigan, but like you said, realistically, um, I don't think that that name is going to be there. So, you know, Chris Stahl is the other interesting one because I think Chris Stahl could be there. I, again, think that he probably won't be, but Chris Stahl was also a name that when we asked Tony, someone who were to, was to get drafted outside the top 10, that when we're doing a redraft next year would be redrafted in yes, the top five or seven, he brought him up. <laughs> so whenever you hear that as a fan, that's a name that sticks out to you. He also talked about the Mitch Marner and the Panarin. Um, you know, he said those two guys without the ability to skate, which as Rangers fans, that scares us a little bit, <laughs> taking high-end yes, skilled talent prospects that can't skate that well and saying we'll teach them how to skate. But, you know, um, we're also picking at 23. We're not picking at one. We're not picking at two. We're not picking at seven. So to get someone at 23 that may not be perfect, but in a redraft has the top seven, top five potential, it was a name that stuck out to me. So I like the names that he said then. But, you know, if you look at his breakdown, Gavin Brindley's at 12. Chris Dahl's at 18, Chirnek's at 19. So there's a chance that all three were taken. So what I wanted to do is uh, me and Brendan located some players that were maybe a little lower on Tony's power ranking than 23, but we've seen mocked a few times going to the Rangers at 23 or somewhere around them. The one that we don't name at first um, is Charlie Stramel because we're talking about him. And I'll let Tony talk about the rest. Specifically for the Rangers, how would you power rank those four? Uh, specifically for the Rangers, I think Bradley Nadeau is the interesting one because he's the biggest mm. wild card, in my opinion, because he's a junior A player. Going to go into Maine. He's got some of the, uh, the funnest offensive skill. He was absolutely toying with guys in the BCHL this year. Um, him and Riley Height would probably be at the top of the list for me. I think Height's got a lot of really great playmaking ability. I think he's a fun, fun player. Um, and he brings something that the, the the Rangers don't necessarily have in their prospect pool. They've got a lot of physical guys. They've got a lot of guys that are coming up and being that, that two-way presence. Riley Height's an all-offense kind of going wild kind of as a passer. He's got a lot of fun playmaking abilities, vision, uh, sees through traffic that really, really well, makes passes before the lane opens up and the puck squeaks through the lane as it develops. It's really fun to watch. Um, David Enstrom and and Charlie Stram are are of the same build, though. I think Edstrom, his skating took a step this year. I think the biggest problem with with Stram is that he wasn't able to develop this year because of Wisconsin. I think that – kind of detrimental to him whereas edstrom was similar player kind of but he was able to develop so i think edstrom's moved up into that range and stremmel's fallen into that range in my opinion you take the guy that's been moving up and been developing properly and developing well and that's why edstrom's that guy but all four of those guys in my opinion are pretty pretty close any of those four stick out to you 
Yeah, so the, the four that we're alluding to there, like you mentioned, are Charlie Stramel, Bradley Nadeau, Riley Height, and David Enstrom. So when you look at those four, I, I know that I did a draft article about the Rangers where I mentioned Brindley. The other one that I mentioned that's in this yep. group is Riley Height. And I think that if Riley Height is there and the names that we have talked about already are gone, that's somebody the Rangers definitely will look at. He's a center, can probably bounce to the wing too. He's got a good two-way game. He's pretty balanced, especially towards the late first round. And I think that a lot of you know prospect rankings, mock drafts, have him going anywhere between as high as 18 to as low as 29. So that's the range where high, uh, Riley Height will go. So out of those four, I think that that's the one that makes the most sense at that spot for the Rangers. But uh, ideally, you get somebody that is a little bit higher up that we talked about before. Yeah, I like Riley Height as well. Um, my list is very similar to Tony's. Besides Riley Height, I would also go with Bradley Nato. Um, he he mentions it himself. He absolutely – his numbers were insane in the BCHL, yep. so much so that that's a league that his numbers are so good that it makes you actually worry, right? Like was he playing enough competition where the numbers would even hold up and we should put any stock into those numbers? But – um, I'm someone that I would like to, <laughs> I want to put some stock yeah. into some insane numbers. And if he's able, and if that competition was good enough and anything that he did against that competition is able to translate, he's someone that I would like to take a look at, but those are all four names that I've seen mocked to them time and time again. Um, if you look at breakdowns, you'll see a lot of them as centers, but like you said, with height. All four of them do have that ability somewhat to bounce out if necessary. Some more than others, you'd probably want to keep them at center. But um, for some Rangers flexibility, the ones that are able to bounce out, if one is able to do that more so than another, that could be the difference. Yeah, Bradley Nadeau is a five foot 10, 161-pound kid who's not – going to come in. I know that a lot of fan bases and a lot of people that look at this that don't necessarily follow the prospects or follow the draft kind of want that instant gratification when yep. they hear round one that, okay, he comes in, he's going to be ready next year. Now this is not, you know, that, that that's not how this works, especially in hockey. The top two picks, maybe the top three will play in the NHL next year. After that, it's really just, you know, they're, they're going to take some time to develop. And Nadeau is that type of guy where a prospect that takes time to develop is not something that I think the Rangers are the strongest at. So Very to me, true. if they take him, it's not a bad pick. The question is, will they do right by the kid or will they rush his development, miss, miss uh, step in his development and kind of ruin him for, <laughs> for the rest <laughs> of his career? Um, that, that's just the Rangers way. So Nadeau scares me a little bit more than Height, who I think is a little more seasoned at this time, especially this draft year. But either way, you can't really go. It's not a mistake taking either one of them at 20. No. No, uh, it just and, depends who's gone before him. Yeah, and Tony even said that himself. And like Brendan said, you can watch it when you watch the whole interview. Um, even though these guys were lower on the power rankings than 23, even if they're somewhat reaches, he could see them all drafted at 23. Um, so so interesting names even to look at. And I, I know we'd have to wait a little bit for NATO, but he is going to the University of Maine. So I think Rangers okay. fans would become very, very interested in following that team for one or two or how many seasons um, he'd be playing there or um, that the Rangers would allow him to play there. But yeah, maybe looking for someone who um, more so could come in 
a little bit earlier. We know a lot of what they're doing with the roster construction straight up to the coaching staff is for a window that may be tighter than allowing someone to get yep. to their junior year in college, right? Well, they, they do have that leeway where they if they really want to work on developing and hoping that after these contracts come, they'll have a good player to step in, that they have some patience, right? Whoever they take at 23 is not playing next year. And odds are with the way the Rangers are in a cap going up, they're not going to play the year after that unless they take off and, uh, you know, whether it's the NCAA or the OHL, WHL, whatever league they're playing. And so they have leeway to kind of be a little more patient if they do it the right way and take a kid with really high upside and watch that develop. Then in three years time, we could be sitting here going, all right, this kid's going to be really good and happy about the pick. If they do it the wrong way, we could be sitting here going, well, that was a mistake. Look at who was taken after him. Look at who they could have had. And I hate that feeling. So we shall see, but there's two defensemen in this draft that likely won't be there, but at the same time, if they are, you have to take them. Um, And Tony's going to talk about it. We'll let him go into the names because these are two tongue twisters, but uh, (laughs) Tony's going to dive into the two Russian defensemen. Near the, the fun top thing the about draft, draft prospects, yep. right, is you do a lot of the research reading it, so you don't actually yep. get to hear the names. So you come up with you come up in your head. But Tony's a pro. We'll let him pronunciate these two young defensemen that he thinks um, potentially may have a chance to be there at pick twenty-three. He's a, a guy I've compared to Guliev a few times because when you notice him, it's because he makes a defensive error. Um, but there are so many times where he's helping drive that offense in Toronto. And he's a guy that plays with a good enough team that you don't see the defensive blunders all that often. You saw him come up big in the playoffs for Toronto, even despite their failure yet again. Um, so <laughs> it's, that's the kind of player you're getting. Does he end up being Thomas Shabbat? Who's absolutely abysmal defensively, <laughs> but still has a, a good offensive game. Or does he end up being a guy like Morgan Riley? Who's figured out the defensive side enough that he can get away with it while still being a really good offensive defense. But I think that's kind of the, the question you're getting with Guliaev. I think he's a little bit smaller guy as well, 5'11". It's going to be a question, but he's certainly a guy that I think is going to be there. Um, Dmitry Simashev's a really, really high-end defenseman I think could be there as well that the Rangers should value. If he's there at 23, I'm running up to the stage because he's a guy that has all the talent in the world. He's got the skating, the size, the, the there's everything you we want in this game. Every time I watch them this year, I go, how doesn't this guy have more points? And then I then I look at the team he plays with and I go, ah, yes, because they're terrible. And every time he makes a pass, it's fumbled. Or uh, like There was a clip that was going around on Twitter a little bit today that he, he ended up going end-to-end, deking around two defenders, putting the puck through his leg and almost scoring on the goalie. And it's like in the, the tweet mentioned that you get more of NHLE from the, the, the goofy little transla- <laughs> translation stat. You get more NHLE from getting a secondary assist off a shin pad in the whl than what gulia or than what simashev did there and, and it's true like nhl is a great stat but it doesn't help with a lot of things you got to watch these games and that's where a guy like simashev could be a, a hidden gem yeah so dimitri simashev he has ranked 10 and yes. odds are he's not going to be there but <laughs> when you look at his description of him if you i, I watched a couple are you of- ruining it for me <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want him because I watched a couple. As soon as this interview ended, I went. I went on YouTube. I, I did that too. I did that and I was too. Like, yeah. This kid's pretty good. He's six four, almost two hundred pounds in his draft yeah. year, which yeah. is just un- unbelievable. So he's a big dude. He's a physical guy. He can skate. He can move the puck. It, he literally ticks off every box that you want in a defense prospect. So if he is there, 
and the Rangers don't take him, I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. He's a left-handed defenseman. So, yeah, I mean, if Jones does wind up struggling, he could eventually come take that spot. But left-handed D-men are huge to get, especially right now for the Rangers, because I'm not sure when this prospect, because he's playing in the KHL, will come over. But when you look at the cap situation, one of the players that's been said that could be moved is a Ryan Lindgren, who's a lefty. And if you could replace the Ryan Lindgren with another young prospect coming up and save the cap space, that's a huge, huge move. So Simashev checks a lot of boxes, and if he was there, I would love it. Not much to say about them other than what Tony and you said about them. I think both names that if they're there, um, if the Rangers aren't immediately running up, like you said, I think Simashev a little bit more than Goliayev. Um, they're 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 in the cards. They're they're in the short list of people that you're drafting. I also looked at Simashev's highlights after we talked to Tony, and um, he looks the part. Yep. <laughs> he definitely looks the part of what we know the Rangers like. We know they like big and physical, but he does have that offensive game that I'll, I'll harp on it over and over. You got to be shut down if all you can do is be a defensive defenseman in today's NHL. You got to either have a good shot or you got to be able to move the puck. The way that it's going today, you got to be helping your team's offensive metrics in some manner, unless, again, you're shut down. But with with the rules and with the game and with the game the way they want it, it's very, very tough to be shut down. So I think more and more you got to see how – what are the offensive – skill sets of these defensemen um Simashev has the look of yep. what the rangers like and also possesses the skill type of even if the rangers get enamored with how he looks at least he carries the skill type of the modern nhl so they could backwardsly fall into a defenseman that fits in the modern nhl and he's the one where if he's there at 23 they're probably running right up yeah he is and there, th- this year is unlike a lot of other years in the past where the top is extraordinarily top heavy, but there's not a weak necessarily break. Like you've had a lot of years where you have a good one to five, you have an okay, you know, six to 12. And then after that, it's kind of like, uh, you know, not really desirable. And those drafts still yield players later on in the first and second rounds. But this year, you know, probably one to 35, you're talking about some strong prospects that could wind up making an impact and it's impossible to pick which ones wind up doing that which ones wind up failing but the rangers are going to get a good player at 23 it's a question of if they get the right good player and these are all options none of these could be available all of them could be available and you really don't know so it's going to be crazy to watch it and we're going to be live during it so i mean i don't know where else you're going to be but with us again next wednesday yeah it's going to be a ton of fun and the rangers have to remember they are drafting at 23 so they don't have to get someone that they're expecting to get into the lineup to start the season with maybe some of the other picks that they've had more recently they could get a good player and they could develop a good player that helps this organization and franchise for a decade for two decades but i can't promise you that the start of that decade happens in the next two years in the next three years and if people are comfortable with that this can work we can get a great all-time ranger at pick 23 it's happened before players picked here all the time i mean i don't know 
this is the first hockey draft that I've gotten into, but one thing that I'm always into is looking at players' bios in every sport and seeing when the, where they're drafted. And you just know with the NHL because of how international it is and how scouting is so non-scientific when it's limited to one country. Now it's international. You can get players anywhere that yep. turn out to be stars. So 23 is the chance to get someone really, really good. Anyone really that we get in the draft has a chance to be good. But 23 specifically, if done right, could be a sweater that a lot of people are wearing to Madison Square Garden. But like I'm saying, the first time you wear it may not be till 2025, 2026. And the Rangers, that tends to be their problem. But maybe this is the time that changes. Yeah, we don't want the Rangers to rush their draft picks, but we do want you guys to rush back next Wednesday when we are live during the draft. It's going to be a great show. We had a great first show. Zuko was awesome. I can't wait to do this again next week. We're going to have so much to talk about because it's going to be happening live. We'll have pick breakdowns. We'll talk about who gets drafted. So watch along with us. Thank you very much for tuning in this week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Peace.